Hello, and welcome to Soul Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute. In this season, Human 2.0, we will be talking to scientists and non-scientists about technology, innovation, and the human experience. We are your hosts. I'm Angelica Pasquini. And I'm the Bull Bay. You can call me Bay. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to dietitian Rabia Bauer and Philadelphia farmer Krista Barfield. Wellness. Yeah, well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a topic. Well, to be well. What do you think it means to be well? You know, it's always interesting talking about this because it's like, you know, by whose perspective? Um, my perspective of wellness is really more of your internal disposition. You know, are you waking up raging? Then that doesn't seem well to me. And maybe you could look at, you know, what your appetites are, what your appetite is, what your your, your habits and rituals and, and things like that. But what's wellness to you? Hmm. Yeah, it's a feeling. Yeah. Um. You just I think it's like, you know, when you're not well mm. and then that's when you start seeking wellness. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you can like see a rash on your hand and be like that. That's not well. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then I think it's funny to say doing well or doing not well. You know, it's like, yeah. well, um. But I think that wellness generally is 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 a mental and physical and spiritual alignment, you know, right. and you know when you feel it and you know when you don't. But I think it's really important to remember that you're not going to always feel well and that that's not the goal of life. Um, right. Because sometimes this pursuit of wellness is a little like, all right, take it easy, in my opinion, because in times that I felt unwell, either spiritually, mentally or physically, I've learned a lot. Absolutely. Sometimes it's hard to accept that there are going to be moments when you don't feel the best. And that is also a part of the human experience. And then the human experience is just a funny thing because when you pull back the veil, the hood, whatever um, analogy you want to use, there's actual science there. Right. You know, eat this, try that. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe look at less of these colors because don't colors change your mindset yeah. and how you might feel physically? There's a ton of stuff. And is there actual science there? Yeah, I mean... That's such a good question. And I think a lot of it comes down to what we fuel our body with. Right. Even even not only food wise, but also messaging. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the brass tacks of the science, we are animals and what we put into our bodies is going to affect everything. Yeah. You know, I've heard someone say a long time ago, again, in the fitness space where I've been lately, yeah. like, Food isn't fun. Food is fuel. Gosh. And I was like, this guy's a little wacky. Yeah. But there is actual, uh, you know, truth to that statement. Food is fuel. Yeah. And, you know, you are what you eat. We've heard these things before, right? Mm. And it's important to at least be mindful of, of whatever you're taking in, whether it be uh, a solid, a liquid, yeah. and sometimes, you know, visuals. Yeah. And also, like, people have really varying opinions on this. Yeah. When it comes to things like what to eat and what's good for you, quote unquote, good. And how a body should look and move. Right. Exactly. I think it's time we talk to someone who knows quite a bit about wellness and how this impacts a community. Our first guest, Krista Barfield, is a healthcare professional turned farmer and lifelong Philadelphia resident. It was important for her to take back her life, health, and happiness, not only for herself. She connects with the land, plant life, and social issues that heavily impact Black and Brown communities. Her original two ventures are Viva Leaf Tea Company and Farmer John. So my name is Krista Barfield. I am from Philadelphia, G-Town in the house. Hi and welcome, Krista. Can you introduce yourself? 
I'm a farmer, healthcare worker turned farmer uh, almost four years ago now. In January 2018 is when I changed my life and started to look at wellness a lot different and started to really just hone in on myself. And that's what led me to, to where I am now, farming food, feeding people, helping people to understand the importance of equity and education and equality in outdoor spaces and specifically the power of growing food and manipulating soil. Amazing. And so you said you had a healthcare profession past? I worked in healthcare for 10 years. Um, my degree is in healthcare administration. So I always knew I was going to be in healthcare. I was raised by a clinician. My mother, um, she was a nurse my entire life. And then she, about four years ago, got her doctorate of nursing practice. So now she's a doctor. And so healthcare has always been a major part of enjoy of mine. Got to my college and went into their bio program. And within a semester, I knew that I was not going to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes that, that realization hits you hard. It's beautiful, though. Yeah, like I knew that wasn't it. Um, but I still love science. I always had this major passion for it. Never did I ever touch dirt and think that how plants work would excite me as much as it does now. What fundamental change in your attitude do you think took place along your journey from working in the healthcare field to advocating for urban agriculture and getting more people outside and interacting with their food? Working in that in that field for, for 10 years, I eventually just got burnt out. And that just, you know, speaks to why wellness has now led me here. And for me, at, at that point, four years ago, was the lack of wellness. I wasn't in tune with myself. I wasn't paying attention to my needs. And so therefore, it led me to a breaking point where, you know, I walked into work one day, read an email, and I was like, okay, this is it for me. So I decided to resign from that job. And within the next day, literally one day of my last day of work, I was on a plane to Martinique, French Caribbean, by myself, never been out of the country before. So first stamp on my passport and I was alone. It was just this amazing experience that I had no expectation what, what was going to hit me next. You wow. left left. Yeah, I was out of here. <laughs> How old were you when you 30. made 30. Wow. Yeah. I think that's really cool for people to hear because a lot uh, our society is so obsessed with people in their early 20s mm. making these huge life decisions and then following it uh, until they die. So yes, exactly. <laughs> I, what I like about this story is like you can turn the page at 30 and start something entirely new. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more about your story and also how you think getting back to soil dirt changed your behavior. You know, it's this powerful thing that plants do. They do what they want. They are Mother Nature. They do what they need to do for themselves in order for them to grow. And yes, your environment and their environment does impact that because they have certain needs as well. And so when I look at it from a human standpoint and from our own wellness, I was in an environment where I was always a yes person. Mm. I was always making sure that everyone else was okay. And never was I taking care of myself. I wasn't in a space where my surroundings took care of me. I had to rely heavily on myself and I wasn't being fed by anything or anyone around me. And so therefore I was literally dying. This analogy of the human and the plant is powerful. And so that's what I mean by that is um, I, I realize now having this relationship with plants, I realized what I wasn't receiving and what I wasn't because I wasn't receiving what I needed. I also realized what I wasn't giving. I'm just curious about the receiving aspect that you're talking about. Would you have any advice on if someone's uncomfortable receiving or hasn't really received before? Like how to even do that? 
Yeah, honestly, you have to just sit in and listen to yourself, listen to your own needs and be comfortable in saying no. You know, I, like you, are, I'm a lifelong Philadelphian, so I'm really excited to get to ask you this. Your company name is Pharmajone. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the, the inherent connection to Philadelphia, why urban agriculture here is so important to you? Yeah. And also, you know, you got to explain John. <laughs> yes, yes. I love my city. That's just first and foremost. I feel so much passion and connection uh, to being from here because it, it literally created who I am. I was able to take all the amazing parts of Philadelphia, but also learn from the not so great. And it has definitely taught me what we need as a society and helped me to answer questions about how we get what we need. Being from Philly, I feel like we have a lot going on in our city right now. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain and trauma. And I want to figure out ways that can affect change on that. And I do believe that urban agriculture is that because it fills so many needs. And one being obviously providing food, um, but not just food, it's organic and nutrient-dense foods. Yeah. And then just needs, you know, needs for, for basic Things that we need, like our, our clothing, our homes, and, you know, things that we eat and drink, our consumption. It's, it's amazing the power when people know that what they need is so close. When you actually dig in and think about that, every need that you have comes from a plant. So how powerful would it be if you were actually growing and you knew how to grow, if you just had the basic knowledge of it, or if you knew a farmer that could help you? And you could go to to get the things that you need. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And really quick for the general audience, what is a John? A John, person, place, or thing. I mean, in Philly, it just means anything or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I came up with that name, Farmer John, it really meant to me that anybody can farm. Knowing where your food comes from is so dope. It's such a it's right. such an opportunity and a privilege to know where your food comes from. It really is. Farmer John is an agricultural uh, enterprise that focuses on the reintroduction of farming into the lifestyles of urban people. And urban agriculture is something you're super passionate about. Can you break down more specifically for someone who does not know what that is? Urban agriculture is farming within city limits is what I consider urban agriculture to be. So in and around the city. Your farm mm -hmm. is in Philly. We're a multi-farm company. And so we have one in Roxborough that we've had for almost full four years. And um, we also just was able to get this uh, land up in Elkins Park, which is really dope. It's five acres of land on 42 acres of land. And this just really amazing estate up there that we're going to get to to be a part of. Now, and I've been uh, lucky enough to see you speak in other settings. You've talked about reimagining the corner store. Mm. Can you talk about that a little bit? What does that look like? Everybody yeah. knows what a corner store is. It's essentially a convenience spot. And convenience connects directly, unfortunately, in America to things that are unhealthy. Think about fast food chains. And because it is so close to people's home, because it's typically the closest store that has, quote, unquote groceries mm. in it, it's the easiest and the fastest. You know, it tends to be more unhealthy because you're you're having options of boxed items that are processed. You're having canned items that are full of sodium, not a lot of fresh options, if any at all, in these spaces. So reimagining the corner stores is project that I'm calling the Grodega. <laughs> and that really focuses on not only providing a space where people can have optics of what a farm looks like on a nano level, 
but also it allows them to be able to get some prepared food items and will also be able to accept EBT, which is also really important for communities where these corner stores are located. And you're saying things will be grown at the actual location. Yep. So think about a 2,000 square foot lot that's completely empty. You put a shipping container on it that serves as a stationary food truck. And then right next to that, you have a space where uh, you have food growing literally right there. So people can see and understand that, yes, you too deserve agriculture. You, you too deserve a farm in your community, not just a green space. You you can see that where food is growing and where you can understand better where food comes from because you're looking at it. The first thought I had, because I'm I'm New York girl, uh-huh. I'm like, someone's just going to take the food yes. <laughs> that's growing. Yes. <laughs> so we, I will tell you that ours will, we will have a fence. Because we just have to, but it is, but it'll have open hours because it's yeah, a business. It's a business. So it's open hours and it doesn't, it's not like you can't come in. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not like you have to spend money here to be able to be a part. It's not like that at all. So like, you know, it's going to be a, a very welcoming environment. But the other part of it is that it's it's a commercial space. Mm-hmm. There's transactions happening here and transactions also offer welcomeness. They just do. People feel more welcome in spaces where they spend their hard-earned dollar. And so we give them a safe space to do that in an environment that they know is also giving back and, and has is full of purpose. Yeah, Right. Absolutely. What is your biggest hope, not just with reimagining uh, the corner store, but also with Farmer John overall? I want us to not only just serve as a, a black owned farm, a black owned organic farm, very specifically being the first one that will exist in our region. But definitely I want to just be a bright light for folks and to be this you know, it just comes down to when I think about all the hurt and pain that our city is going through and then I don't watch the news for a reason, but you you do hear things and I know things are happening and going on. And I truly believe that there are needs that are not being met in our community. And I think that my hope for Farmer John is that people find hope in it and and see that we can create agricultural jobs for you. And there's things that you can you can be doing to get you away from whatever is ailing you or causing you to feel like you're in need. Right. And can you go into a little bit more detail about that hurt, that pain and the things that that might be going on and, and maybe speak to it from a, I don't know, scientific space yeah, like in terms of the behavior. Sure. Like, why is the behavior that way? Where and where does health and wellness fit into that? I think it's, it's the it's the mental health. It comes back to mental health and how we as especially as as Americans don't do a good job of taking care of ourselves and slowing down to think about what we need and how we can do better for ourselves. And then if you also attach to that from a black and brown standpoint, all of the, the criticism and racism and prejudices that are against us and constantly around us and constantly, you know, right in our faces because of media and social media, we're just overly exposed and overstimulated in a a way. Right. And so we're battling. We're in a, a constant battle. And the city is feeling that right now with all the violence that we're that we're experiencing right now. And I I just believe that having hope in something that was once harmful to us could very well be the answer. And when I say that, I mean farming. Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate you sharing your story, sharing your experiences. Um, And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Believe it or not, I think it's reflection time. 
Krista was awesome. I just really appreciated how true to herself she was throughout her entire experience that she shared. I, absolutely, absolutely. I think there's a, an, an honesty that's driving her story and her her curiosity. Yeah. Um, because she was <laughs> a nerd, as she said. And she mm-hmm. was like, I love the blood and the guts and the in the in the health space. But I think sticking with that curiosity and not specifically blood and guts and all that stuff, but health and wellness drove her to all these different experiences. And I love that evolution of curiosity. Yeah. And in talking about reinventing the bodega. Let's go. I love that. I and do. I think that's so human <laughs> 2.0 because it's like, let's take this and make it better. Right. And just make it as accessible as it already is. We're just going to swap out what's in there for right. something healthier and better for you. Yeah. You know? the, whole, the whole focus is just to get a little better. Hi, this is Angelica Pasquini from So Curious. Sign up for our newsletter to find out when the latest episodes are available. Get access to bonus content and be the first to know when we host live events. Visit beyond.fi.edu to sign up. Now, no, literally, go do it right now. Okay, now that we talked to a literal farmer, I think it's time to talk to a dietitian. Our last guest is Rabia Bauer. Rabia is a coordinator of the master's program in nutrition and dietetic practice program at Thomas Jefferson University. Bauer is particularly passionate about diversity, inclusion, equality, and social justice. As a non-diet dietitian, she is a champion of intuitive and mindful eating and truly believes that all foods fit. My name is Rabia Bauer, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. And right now I'm working at Thomas Jefferson University in our MS and Nutrition and Dietetic Practice Program. Body positivity, what does that mean? Can you give us a clearer picture of that? So body positivity was really born out of the fat acceptance movement and this idea that all bodies are good bodies. So that's a very, very simplified version of a dense topic. But this idea, again, that regardless of the shape and size of your body, it's something to be proud of and something to be celebrated. If you think about society right now, there's a very specific body type that's celebrated and upheld as the standard, and body positivity is trying to change that. And is this a global movement, so to speak? I think it's probably focused on what I would call like the global West. So places like the United States, Australia would be included in that just because of the population there, parts of Europe. But I see it coming up in places like South Asia. Like it's definitely gaining traction and popularity. I'm curious about why this is a passion of yours and a little bit about your story. So my dietetic story at age nine, I was diagnosed with insulin dependent diabetes, the first in my family. So I've been dealing with that for the past 25 years and will continue to do so until there's a cure. Um, And part of that treatment was meeting with registered dietitians. And I grew up in central Pennsylvania where there were no dietitians that understood the food that I was eating at home. So I'm South Asian. My family's from India a long, long time ago. Um, So that really kind of propelled me to working in food. Went to school to become a registered dietitian. Realized at a certain point, the education is very prescriptive. It's kind of taught in a really specific way. And part of that is nutrition is a newer science. Part of that is who's getting involved in the field. And it can be really restrictive if you focus on weight loss as the only goal. Mm. And then there's two dietitians who started, uh, they worked in eating disorder clinics and they started this movement, this program, I guess is a better word, called intuitive eating. They have 10 different pillars or guidance for honoring your hunger, Loving your body, gentle nutrition is one of the last kind of tenets of intuitive I love the eating. Language. Yeah. I love it. 
very purposeful. And when I read the book, it just clicked with me. And I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I restricting Oreos when I love them? Because I do. I love Oreos. Yeah, they're good. How does uh, language play into, I guess, how we interact with food and how we see ourselves and whether we see ourselves as healthy or good and and right? Yeah, no, that's such a good question. So have you ever heard anyone say, oh, I ate something. I'm such a bad person. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, And even in school, right? Kids are getting taught this binary of good and bad food, healthy food versus junk food. And you are what you eat. And if you put junk in your body, are you junk? And I don't believe that. That messaging is so simple and it works so well. Psychologically, it's very subliminal. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about the body positivity movement, I, it's, you can tell me what you think about this, but I feel like it's a reaction to that subliminal messaging. Like it was born out of a need to like feel autonomy again. What do you think about that? Like the movement itself, is it a reaction to our society's messaging? I think it's a reaction, but I think it's its intention is to be a celebration, right? So again, this idea that regardless of the shape and size of your body, it deserves to be celebrated. And society doesn't tell us that. We uphold a very specific standard of, of a beautiful body in society. I think, you know, part of it is moving away from that restriction of what food is good and what food is bad. But part of body positivity and part of intuitive eating is also that what you eat doesn't always affect your body shape and size. So a lot of times when you hear about body positivity and intuitive eating, you also hear about the movement called health at every size, which is this idea that the shape and size of your body does not determine your health status. And what I like that you're hitting on is that it's not a moral issue, Mm -hmm. food. Right. It's it's not not right and wrong. And I think because this is a science podcast and we're talking about the innovation of human health and technology, I'm curious, what are some of the biological aspects, the true blue aspects of wellness, not just what it looks like from the outside in your experience as a dietitian, what is wellness? I mean, it's very holistic, right? You can't break it down and say this part of me is healthy and this part of me is not. You're all the same person. Food is part of that. Your attitudes towards food is part of that. Your attitudes to movement and physical activity and finding joy in movement. I know a lot of people who exercise to punish themselves, and that's so sad to me. Yeah. I want to ask, you know, the popularized, quote unquote, picture of health is changing with efforts of inclusion. What does inclusivity in the the health and wellness space look like? So I think you have to kind of break it down and go back to the start of nutrition, right? So nutrition in this country was really born between the world wars when we started paying attention to our soldiers that were malnourished. And if they're malnourished, they can't go fight a war and win. Right. Right. Nutrition was birthed out of that. I mean, there was obviously people interested in it, but that's when it really took hold. And that's when Ah. you start seeing the term nutritionist and dietitian a lot more. And this idea that we were basing nutrition on a straight white male, because that's who was in the army at the time. Well, I'm not a straight white male. So maybe those standards that were based on a straight white male don't apply to me. Even if you think about BMI, which is the body mass index, which is something currently being used to diagnose diseases and it's used in your insurance and it it determines your health. And it's a hot topic. It's a hot topic. Controversial. Very. I will go. I have been on camera on film (laughs) saying BMI is trash and it is trash. Again, based on European males. And like, that's not what society is. It's not just European males. Even um. If you go to pharmacy, right, like dosages for medicine are based on men and women tend to be a little bit smaller than men. Not always, but maybe those doses aren't right, but the research isn't there because nobody's done it. Wow. 
So what are some of the biological effects of public discourse on health? How do conversations surrounding health directly impact our psychological health? So again, the world is built for straight white males and I'm not one. I'm like, no shade, whatever. I'm married to a straight white male, but like the world is built for him, Mm -hmm. not for people like me. And there's more and more of us that are not straight white males that are taking up space and we exist and we deserve to have our needs met, whether that's looking at health standards, whether that's looking at do seatbelts fit our bodies properly? Does the dosage on a Tylenol bottle make sense for us? So just realizing that the information we have, the information we're working on, there needs to be room for nuance. It's not one size fits all. Your studies have focused on diversity and quality and inclusion and justice within eating. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the most important reasons to continue examining diversity and inclusion in medicine, especially when it comes to our food? So I think there's two issues here, right? So despite being America, America being this like wealthy country, there's still so many people who don't have access to healthy food or even access to food at all. So how are you going to talk to them about good nutrition if they don't even have food to sustain their body? So that's part of it. And then the other half of it, and I talk about this a lot professionally, is in this country, we have this like standard of healthy food, which is typically like brown rice, grilled chicken, steamed broccoli. And there's nothing wrong with eating that but it's really boring. And that's not what my family grew up eating. Mm -hmm. And there's so many other beautiful cultures in this country. And all cultures have foods that are really nutrient dense. And all cultures have foods that are not so nutrient dense, right? You can find some sort of fried pastry filled with meat in almost every culture. Yeah, Maybe not the most nutrient dense, right? Mm -hmm. But hand it over. But yeah, I'll eat it. Like (laughs) I'll eat it. So this idea that this white American palate or this white American food is the healthiest is just not correct. And part of that stems from who's creating these health guidelines, Mm -hmm. right? So the dietary guidelines for Americans, the USDA, my plate. I never saw my own culture's foods reflected on my plate because nobody from my culture was helping build these standards. Mm. And what is my plate? My plate is the USDA's guidance for choosing healthy food. So you can go to Uh choosemyplate.gov and that is the USDA's guidance on healthy eating. And it has your food groups. Like, do you remember the pyramid? Yeah, I was going to ask about the pyramid. What do you think about that? The pyramid's gone. Nice. Oh, it is? It's gone. We switched to my plate. And oh, I, okay. Yes. Got it. And I like that because nobody eats off of a pyramid. You actually eat off of a plate, <laughs> right? Wow. Pretty novel. I don't, Pretty yeah, novel. I don't know anyone <laughs> eating off a pyramid. I don't either. Um, so my plate, you know, half the plate is fruits and vegetables. A quarter of it is grains. A quarter of it is lean protein. And you have some room for dairy. But again, my food, the the dal, the lentil dishes I grew up eating, um, the curried cabbage that I grew up eating, I never saw it up, upheld on my plate. And it wasn't until I became a nutrition expert that I learned, yeah, these foods fit. I just need to kind of think about it and learn about that. And, you know, when you're growing up and you're being taught the healthiest food is brown rice, steamed broccoli and grilled chicken, maybe you start removing yourself from that culture. I know so many people who say, oh, it's my cheat day. I'm going to eat Mexican. There's nothing inherently unhealthy about Mexican food. There's some really healthy options, really nutrient-dense options, but that's not what we're taught. Body positivity is a really hot topic, buzzword, and, you know, we see celebrities throwing it around. How can you bring that into a more medical space? So recently I had some leg pain um, related to my diabetes, and my endocrinologist, who's a diabetes specialist, was like, oh, you know, you gained weight. And I said, yeah, you and I had talked about how gaining weight was a healthy option for me. I needed to gain weight. And she's blaming this leg pain on my weight gain. And I did a little research, even though I'm not, you know, a diabetes doctor. And there's this disease that I think I have that causes leg pain. So it has nothing to do with my weight. 
And I know it has nothing to do with my weight because it started before I gained the weight. So if you have, you know, a patient who is complaining about pain and the doctor says lose weight, there's not actually science behind that that says that's going to help. Right. Right. If you need to have your appendix taken out, your weight, losing weight is not going to fix anything. You need your appendix taken out. So we see a lot of fat phobia and fat bias in the medical field. It's well documented that people in larger bodies, you know, we have this research that shows they have higher rates of mortality. And for a lot of times people thought, oh, it's because they're in larger bodies. But what we also know is that people in larger bodies are less likely to seek healthcare because of this fat bias and this fat phobia. So if you're less likely to seek healthcare, maybe you have worse health outcomes, right? Oh, it's like wow. they're each influencing each other, right. the shame and the propaganda. And then it goes in a, in it's a like cycle. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Totally, yeah. totally. It's, it's very cyclical. To wrap it up, I'm curious, if someone is trying to assess their own nutrition needs and be honest with themselves and cut out the noise, yeah. what kind of questions can they be asking? So I think it's hard because there is so much noise. So really, I think your best bet is to go to a registered dietitian nutritionist. Lots of insurance cover trips to see us and like just find one that's really honest, one that's going to listen to what you need without judgment. Find one who is weight inclusive, find one who is body positive and just see like there's always room for improvement, right? Even my own diet, there's room for improvement and I I know all the things. So just getting, you know, time with a professional can be really helpful. And what are the terms someone can look for like on the website to make sure that the person is inclusive? So terms like body positive, weight inclusive or weight neutral. Haze aligned. So Haze is H-A-E-S standing for health at every size, intuitive dietitian. And like, if you go on Instagram, there's a bazillion of us. And we're really, really grateful to learn from you in this conversation. Thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Okay. And you know what time it is. Let's reflect. That was a very, very enlightening and comforting conversation to have because I know body positivity is a buzzword and it exists a lot in the like celebrity space. Yeah. And sometimes that can take away the legitimacy of the thought process behind the the language. And so bringing it into the medical space was just enlightening. You know, yeah. like not everything's based on weight, you know. It's true. And it's cool to hear a real dietitian who studied this inside and out, you know, adopting the ideas of the body positivity movement, of intuitive eating. You know, these are buzzwords and they are often presented to us through a filter on Instagram. And this was just a real dietitian breaking it down in a real way. Well, this concludes the episode of So Curious. I hope you're all feeling well. Stay tuned for next week's episode. And if you dig this podcast, hit the subscribe button and tune in every Monday for more content. This podcast is part of the Franklin Institute. The Franklin Institute is a science museum located in Philadelphia. The Franklin Institute's mission is to inspire a passion for learning about science and technology. For more information on everything about the Franklin Institute, visit fi.edu. This podcast is produced by Radio Kismet. Radio Kismet is Philadelphia's premier podcast network for businesses looking to develop their own branded podcast content. Check them out at radiokismet.com. There's a lot of people who make this podcast happen. Thanks to the producers, Joy Montefusco and Jayatri Das. Our managing producer, Emily Cherish. Our operations head, Christopher Plant. Our associate producer, Liliana Green. Our audio team, Christian Cedarlund, Goldie Bingley, Lauren DeLuca, and Brad Florent. Our development producer, Opeola Bucola. Our science writer, Kira Vayette. 
and our graphic designer, Emma Sager. See you next week.